0: love the story in that video, because that's, that's why we're here. We're here for good, and we're, that's what we're talking about in this series. We're here for a purpose. We're here for a reason, and we don't know the impact that our life can have on someone else. We have the joy and the privilege to partner with God to see lives changed, and that's amazing. Maybe today you feel like, man, I don't have much to offer, or you just feel like I'm only filling the blank. And I want you to see that God can use you. God wants to partner with you to impact lives. And you don't know the ripple effects that are going to happen. That's what, that's what we're called to do as a church, is to, to show the love and grace of Christ and to see those ripple effects expand to our community. That's what we're going to be diving into today as we kind of wrap up this series here for good. Let's try this, though. Uh, I'm excited to be here. How about you? All right. Thanks, you? Thank you. Thank um, you. Have you ever had a time where you felt like an outsider, and you just felt like, man, people were looking at you funny, or you felt like you just didn't belong? Last Sunday night, Mike Berg, uh, right up there, gave me his tickets to the Vikings game, and here's all about Mike. Uh, yeah, it took my dad. He's cheering for us. Uh, Mike owns season tickets to the Vikings. He's a huge Vikings fan, and he gave his preseason tickets to me, even knowing that I'm a Seahawks fan. And man, that is a blessing. But as we walked into the stadium and I convinced my dad to wear a Seahawks jersey, uh, man, I felt like an outsider because it's like all these Vikings fans in sea of purple. Fortunately, Vikings fans are pretty nice. They weren't cussing me out or throwing things at us, maybe because it was preseason. Uh, but man, you look around and you feel like an outsider and you just kind of feel like, man, I don't belong here. Have you ever felt like that? Maybe it's a sport event, maybe just in life. Maybe you've walked into a church before. I've done that. And you feel like, whoa, everyone in here knows each other. You've been there. And you're like, oh, man, I'm the outsider here. Everyone knows the secret lingo. Or maybe you feel like you found out you're sitting in someone's seat because everyone, you know, has their assigned seats in some churches and stuff. I think we can all identify with that feeling, of feeling like an outsider. Today I just want to look at a story of someone who felt like an outsider, someone who was an outsider. And what a huge difference meeting Jesus made in his life. We're going to look at a man who had leprosy. Leprosy is is this awful condition that was in Jesus' day. It was very, very common. Pretty much everyone in Jesus' day knew someone with this condition. It was a horrendously debilitating, painful skin condition. It caused great discomfort and pain. You didn't want to take a bath because the open sores and wounds were incredibly painful. It also caused severe nerve damage. To the point where you'd stop feeling your fingers and toes, and then if you got a cut or if they got burned, you wouldn't even feel it anymore. So, oftentimes, people would lose fingers, toes, ears, noses, all kinds of things. It's just a terrible, terrible condition. But as, as awful as it was, people would really live with this for years. Ancient uh, uh, manuscripts will talk about people having it for 20 years, living with this condition. Eventually, you start losing fingers and toes and limbs as you become more and more desensitized man, leprosy may not be around today, but so many people in our world, just as time goes on, they're becoming more and more desensitized to what's around them. And maybe they're using substances, maybe they're using entertainment as a way to numb the pain until finally they just don't feel anything at all. If that's not bad enough, that people with this condition were thought wrongly to be cursed of God, that in this first century context, the religious people thought that, well, you have this horrible skin condition, therefore you must have done something wrong. Either you or your parents sinned, and so you've been cursed by God, and and you're without mercy or hope or kindness. And so it made these people, the lepers, their life all that more lonely. I mean, imagine this is you. Maybe you you, you have a wife, kids, and then one day, you know, one of your kids has this sore, And it develops, and you find out they have leprosy. Well, according to the law, you would have to send them outside to never touch them again, never hug them, never hold them, never see your child again. Can you imagine? People lived in this condition. They were were quarantined outside of the city. They didn't get to go to Chipotle after church or be a part of a midweek small group or to travel. They couldn't hold a job because they couldn't be around other people. And they really depended on their family and friends to live. What they would do is they'd say, okay, uh, you know, next Tuesday, here's the drop site. And your, your family would drop off some food while you were gone. You'd come back so you wouldn't, didn't, you know, get, give them your disease. And then you'd get the food. But it was very, very lonely. You either by yourself or with other lepers who had the same condition. It was this horrible stench. No one's bathing. You're suffering together this horrible, horrendous condition. The Bible speaks about leprosy in Leviticus 13 in the Old Covenant. Here's what it says in verse 45 through 46. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Your hair is growing long. You're not bathing. And if you ever came upon people, you'd have to yell out, unclean, unclean. Not only was this, you felt like this was, was your condition, but this became your identity. This is how people saw you. This is how you proclaimed to everyone that I am unfit, I am unclean. One Bible commentary called this the living death. This is like AIDS, Ebola, West Nile virus. It consumed your whole identity. And what would happen is that if you were out walking, you'd yell out unclean, unclean, and the women and the children would scream and run away. And some scholars say that even religious people, pastors like me, would keep rocks in their pockets. So when they saw a leper, they'd throw them, the rocks at the people, to drive them away like a wild dog. That's their condition. I want you to feel devastated for these people. They're lost. They're broken. They're without hope. Their identities, that they're unclean, that, that they are no good, that they are worthless. Their lives are destroyed. They are living without any hope, any cure. Now, knowing that, let's look at what does Jesus do. In Luke chapter 5, we spend a whole year in the book of Luke. and Dr. Luke is our our author, and he carefully investigated all these claims just a few years after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended back into heaven. And here's what he writes in chapter 5, verse 12. He says, while he was in one of the cities, Jesus, there came a man full of leprosy. Now, this in itself is unusual because lepers weren't allowed inside the city. That's where they come in, but... But he's coming into the city where he's not supposed to. He could be killed for this. But wh- why? Why would he do that? Because he's desperate. If you're taking notes, gonna write this down. The desperate people are drawn to Jesus. The desperate people are drawn to Jesus. People that have no hope. People that have lost it all. We see again and again throughout the gospel. They were drawn to Jesus. There's something wrong today that so many of our churches repel desperate people, people that feel unclean and broken. Because when Jesus was around, those were the kind of people that were drawn to him, people that were notorious sinners, people that no one else wanted to be around. We talked last week about saying, man, the best compliment slash insult we could ever get is people would say, hey, they let anyone in that church. That We're a no matter what church. No matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, you can come in. You can find belonging. You can find blessing. And we want you to find belief in Jesus because, man, he draws desperate people to him. So picture this. This guy's coming to town. He probably looks a little bit like one of the walkers from The Walking Dead. Maybe he's missing an ear, some fingers. And he's shouting out, unclean, unclean, but he wants to get to Jesus. His hair is hanging down. He hasn't bathed in years. He stinks. He's missing some toes. But this man is so desperate to get to Jesus, he endures all this looking, and he comes into the city looking for Jesus. Our author, Luke, he's a doctor, and he tells us this man is full of leprosy. That means he's a very advanced condition. He's probably been living this for years and years. It's all over his body. He's consumed by this, but he's desperately drawn to Jesus. And so what does this man do when he comes face to face with Jesus? And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him. Some of you, like me, have been in that place where you've come to Jesus and you've fallen on your face and you just begged him for something, a healing, a miracle, just to take shame and guilt off of your heart, anxiety, worry. That's what this man is because we know that apart from Jesus, we have no hope. We are hopeless apart from Jesus. That's where this man is. This is his condition. He's a hopeless man apart from the grace of God. It's a desperate prayer. He's not just coming and praying to Jesus. He is begging Jesus for hope, for healing. You can hear maybe the quiver in his voice, the tears in his eyes. He's lost everything. He's saying, this is my last chance, and he's face down in the dust, in the dirt, and Jesus is standing over him, and there's a crowd around him. This man is laying there. He doesn't know if people are gonna kick him, if they're gonna throw rocks at him. He's in a very vulnerable state as he just says, God, Jesus, I have nothing else. He's face down before him, but he believes that Jesus has the power to heal him. He's saying, Jesus, please make me clean. And what is Jesus' response? In so many gospel stories, we see Jesus will say, just with the word, be healed. Your faith has made you well. We see stories of the Roman centurion. Hey, your daughter is healed and, and he has the faith to just go home. So Jesus, with a word, could have changed this man's life. With a word, he could have healed him. But let's, what does Jesus do next? Because every time I read this story, it wrecks me. Verse 13. And Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched the man. This man with the dirty, unkept hair, he's filthy, he's smelly, his body is filled with sores and wounds. He's perhaps had rocks thrown at him. He's been living alone in isolation with this condition for years and years. He's been without hope, without love, without community. And as he lays in the dust with his face in the ground, as his tears start to form mud in the ground, What does this man feel? Something he hasn't felt in years and years and years. Human touch. As Jesus stretches out his hand, places it on his head. Can you imagine what that feels like? No one has hugged you. No one has touched you in years and years. Your whole identity is unclean. Your whole identity is without hope. And Jesus could have just said, be healed. But instead, before he heals him, Jesus stretches out his hand to identify with this man's pain. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. This man is so used to people running from him, not walking towards him. Jesus touches him. And then he says, be clean. But he touches him in the middle of this crowd with all the religious leaders and everyone looking on at him. Jesus stops his teaching and, in a moment, devotes all his attention to this desperate man. And he gets a touch from Jesus. Friends, this is one of the reasons why we love Jesus Jesus touches those who are unclean. That's what he does. Jesus is being affectionate and he's blessing this man, he's encouraging this man, he's publicly dignifying this man. See, the religious leaders in that day, they had a rule. You couldn't touch someone who had leprosy. If you did, you would be ceremoniously, religiously unclean. This wasn't a rule in the Bible, but it was a rule that religious people made. But Jesus says, no, I love him. I'm identifying with him. He needs to feel my touch. And touch is such an amazing gift. Child psychologists say it's essential to a child's development that if you raise a child alone without any touch, they will die. And to be cut off from all contact Is as serious as losing your hearing or your sight because so much love is conveyed by touch. And this man has lived for years and years with no one touching him. And now his new life begins when Jesus touches him as a friend. Man, that is amazing. And we as the church get to partner with Jesus to reach out and touch the hurting, the broken, the hopeless, the people that feel unclean with the love of Jesus, that we are here for good. And see, that action should have ceremoniously Made Jesus unclean, but instead of Jesus being infected by this man's leprosy, Jesus' healing, his goodness, his wholeness infects this man. And, and, and healing pours out of him. By touching this man, Jesus entered this man's isolation and shame. There's no long distance relief here, no just sending money overseas. Jesus gives himself fully to those whom he loves and serves. Pick up the story. Jesus says, I will. As he touches him, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Can you imagine? I don't know if his fingers and toes started to grow back and his ear popped up. You know, I don't know. We don't know. Or if the sores just disappeared. But immediately the leprosy left him. Because in a moment when people meet Jesus, when they're touched by him, change can happen. Amen? And he charged him to tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. All right, so it's so easy when we're reading the Gospels to just kind of glaze past this. So what did Jesus mean to go do what Moses commanded? Well, for you Bible nerds, maybe you're going to Bible school this fall at Athlebus, you want to dive into something this week? Leviticus 14, written by Moses, gives detailed instructions on what someone who has experienced healing from leprosy is supposed to do. So let's just take a couple minutes because I think that even Leviticus has truth for us today. Here's the basic summary, is that someone who had leprosy and then had been healed would schedule an appointment with a priest outside of town, and the priest would examine him to see, have you truly been healed or not? And the priest was the mediator between God and and people and acts sort of as the doctor as well. And if the priest said, yes, the leper actually has been healed, he would declare, yes, this man has been made right again. The next step would take two birds, of course, right? That's what we do with our doctors. And you would sacrifice one of the birds to God, And the other one, you would capture it and then set it free. What is going on here? Is this just weird Leviticus stuff? And it's like, oh, this doesn't matter. Well, actually, this symbolizes that through the shedding of blood, ultimately foreshadowing what Jesus would come and that his death in our place for our sins on the cross, that our sins would be forgiven. And the dove being sent away showed that Jesus takes away our sins. Theologically, this is the doctrine of propitiation and expiation. It's a big part of the Jewish holiday of the Day of Atonement. Well, what would happen next is that this person who had been healed of leprosy, what they'd do is they would bathe because they hadn't had a bath in a long time. Then they would be shaved. Usually they had long, scraggly hair and a beard, and you'd shave your whole head, including your eyebrows. And this would be like declaring, you're like a baby. You're brand new. You have new life now. This is like when you're Christian and you get baptized, except for here at Mosaic, we won't shave your head and eyebrows, okay? So you don't need to worry about that. If you've been struggling with getting baptized, we won't shave your head. I promise. And then what would happen is that the person who used to be unclean, they they get to meet with people again for the very first time. There'd be a week-long party. Can you imagine? Maybe this man had been married, but for years and years he hasn't been able to hold his wife's hand. He hasn't been able to kiss her. Maybe he's got kids, and for years and years he hasn't been able to snuggle his kids to read bedtime stories, to have a family meal, to celebrate the Sabbath together. And now he gets to do that not only is Jesus restoring him to health and wholeness but into community and into family he hasn't hugged anyone for years and now he gets a whole party people are hugging him it's like he's been in a coma he's been gone and now he's been welcomed back into the community and the word got throughout the town jeremy used to be filled with leprosy but now he's been healed and now we're all going to party let's throw a huge party then the priest would do the craziest thing you can read about leviticus 14 later on this week if you want to do that for your devotional reading the priest would take some of the blood from the bird that they had sacrificed, and then he'd place a dab of blood on the man's ear, the man's thumb, and the man's big toe. Seriously, what's going on here in Leviticus, right? Again, is something we probably aren't gonna do. Maybe we will when we get to Osseo. I don't know, we'll see. But why in the world would the priests do this? Maybe just because, again, the Old Testament is weird, or maybe it symbolizes something deeper that's relevant to our world just as much as it was 2,500 years ago. Well, in some study, and here's what I found. The priest does this to symbolize, you've been healed, you now belong to God. And they dab blood on his ear and he said, you belong to God, listen to him. And he put a dab of blood on his thumb. You belong to God now, serve him. A dab of blood on his big toe. You belong to God. Walk in his ways. Man, I think that's awesome. That's what our life is like in Christ. As his blood on the cross paid for us, we now belong to God. And so now we say, you belong to God, listen to him. You belong to God, serve him. You belong to God, walk in his ways. You belong to God, follow him. See, Jesus wanted to cure this man, but he also wanted him to rejoin his family, his village, his community as a full accepted member. Some of you, you hear this story and you identify with the leper. And maybe you walked in and you're carrying some secret shame, guilt. Maybe you feel like you need to yell out, unclean, unclean. Depression, depression, anxiety. Sinner. But see, through what Jesus did on the cross, in the same way that they would take that bird and they would let the bird fly away, Jesus takes your sin and your guilt and your shame and your anxiety and your worry and all those things, and he takes it away the doctrine of expiation. That those things that happened to you, that was not your fault, those things that you did, those bad choices you made, they no longer define you. In the same way, this man is no longer a leper. That no longer was his identity. In Christ, you are not an addict. In Christ, you are not an adulterer. In Christ, you are not a glutton. Whatever that word is that you associate with yourself, Jesus died so that that could be just removed from you and taken away and no longer is it your identity. Your identity now is that you are made clean and right and you have new life in Christ. In Christ, you're clean. And Jesus says, you belong to me. Listen, you belong to me, serve. You belong to me, follow. Your identity has been changed. For those of us who have been touched By Jesus, we're invited to partner with him. We get to serve together and introduce those in our world who feel unclean, who feel without hope, who feel like their identity is is, is the things that they've done. And we get to say, no, let me introduce you to this man, Jesus, who was both God and man. He came and he bore our sin and guilt and shame. And because of that, he died on the cross for the sin that we could not pay. And now he carries away in this great exchange all your guilt and shame and all the bad things that you have done, and you can find forgiveness, and you can find grace and peace in your life for the very first time. And not only that, you are invited into a community, into a family, a family of God, to say that you are not alone. We are together in this And we want to invite more and more people into this family so they can experience the love and the grace of Jesus. That's why we're here. We're here to do good. We're here to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. As we love, as we serve our city. In two weeks, we're in some ways relaunching, we're saying. We're kind of calling this Mosaic 2.0. As we we approach our fourth birthday, it's time to just step up and we're making some changes. And man, we encourage you, hey, be a part of this. Would you partner with us as we say, man, we are here for good. Because as we look around, so many people struggling with secret shame, secret addiction. Just saying, there's got to be more. I just don't feel like I have purpose. I don't feel like I have passion. So we're in this 21 days of prayer. We've been saying, hey, can you intentionally pray? Pray for your family, pray for your community, pray for your church, and ask God, how how can you be used by God to make a difference? We say, we belong to God, let's listen to him. We spend time asking God to speak through us. We belong to God, let's let's serve, let's use our hands for him to make a difference. One of the things I'm excited about as we plan for our fall is in November, we're not going to have a Sunday service on November 10th. Instead, we're going to go out and serve our community. We're going to go make a tangible difference as we use our hands. Some of you guys who don't like singing or working at kids' ministry, you're like, finally, I can use my tools to make a difference. That's what we want to do. We're going to make a tangible difference in our community. We want to follow God where he leads. Inside your program, you have a sheet. And it just says, opportunities to serve. As I close, I'm going to invite the band to come up. Many, many, many of you serve on a regular basis, and we say thank you so much for that. We could not exist as a church without everyone coming together to partner together to say, man, what can we do so that kids can be taken care of, so that kids receive the message of gospel and truth and hope and seeds are planted, that people feel welcome. We have people like Kirsten who come an hour before church starts, an hour and a half, to make coffee, to set up the lobby, to make a welcoming environment. We have people who put out the signs who will welcome people by holding the door open, coming to set up service so that ministry can happen and then pack it back up so we can do it again next week. I want to really challenge you to think this fall, is there a way you could dive in and as you look at these, maybe you, you haven't found your spot or whatever, and just say, is there something you could commit to doing for this fall every Sunday? Would you commit and think about, you know what, honestly, worship isn't my thing. And so, you know what, I can commit every week to hold and open a door and say, good morning, we're glad you're here. And every Sunday, that's what I'm going to do. Or I can commit to coming early and, and brewing the coffee. If not weekly, every other week. We have some people who are thinking about, you know, serving every week back in kids' ministry because we believe every child should have a caring adult in their life in addition to their parent who's investing in them, who's showing and modeling scripture, who, who's showing the love of Jesus. Would you think about holding babies? And As you hold that baby, you just whisper over them that God loves you, God created you, God loves you, God created you. Maybe you wanna do that scene like from the help, you know, you is so good, He was so great. You know, whatever that might be. we're speaking life and truth. And then over those toddlers, as they're learning truths. Man, I'm so thankful for those of you who serve in our preschool room. Andrew, a few months ago, our four-year-old, man, he learned the truth was, uh, get out of your fear. God is near. And, like, he will say that still. And what an amazing truth that that has been planted down into his little four-year-old heart, that when he's scared, he can say that. Because he knows that God is with him. And I'm just hoping, you know, someday he'll be like a young adult and he'll be like, get out of here, fear. God is near. <laughs> and we're, we're designed to make a difference. What is it you can do? We have so many other opportunities, but here's just a list of different ways. I want you to look through that. Just take a minute, even just right now, we're going to give you an opportunity as we receive our offering. In our connection card, just say, you know what? This is what I can commit to doing weekly, or this is what I can commit to doing twice a week so that others can experience the love and grace. Jesus, It's not just about filling roles and saying, man, let, let, let's step up our game. Because here's the deal. God won't send us more hurting and broken people than we have the capacity to love and care for. And so as a pastor, I'm praying God, increase my capacity. As leaders, as partners, we, we, we want to pray, God, increase all our capacity so that more people who need the love of Jesus we're able to welcome them in. So how can you partner with us so that lives are changed and transformed by the message of Jesus? As we receive our offering just a minute, this is a chance for those who are regular tenders to give back, and we're also saying, hey, would you think about just giving a little over and above, either today or this week? We have some dreams, and Beth and I have been talking, and Josh, and Josh, Saying, how can we be more effective in reaching people and reaching teenagers and, and reaching kids and we have some ideas and make it a little easier in our setup crew and, and, and kids having a great experience but honestly, it takes resources to do that. We're saying, would you consider giving over and above so that we can make a bigger impact? I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna receive our offering. God, thank you. You are here. I thank you that you sent Jesus as a picture of the fullness of God, and we see what a compassionate, loving God that you are. That you reach out and touch the untouchables. You are not a God who heals from a distance, but you come and step into our pain and our misery and our loneliness and our anxiety and our worry. And God, I pray that each and every one of us, God, that we would feel your touch this week. God, that you would heal the hurts, you'd hear, heal those who feel like they have no hope. You'd give direction and purpose and passion. God, in two weeks, we just pray that you would just increase our capacity so that more and more lost and hurting and broken and hopeless people would be drawn to you through this church. God, we want to see lives changed and transformed. We want to see marriages restored. We want to see children growing up loving you, serving you, walking in your truth. We want to see teenagers find purpose and, and start to own their own faith and be a witness and a light to their friends. God, we thank you that you love us so much that you sent Jesus. So God, let us walk in that truth, that our identity is not found in the things that we've done or that we've done to us, but our identity is found in you, Jesus. Give us that confidence that comes with knowing that we are your sons and your daughters. In your name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me? I have no idea if we have ushers. Oh, we do, good. We're gonna receive our offering now as we go out of here singing. If you have any questions about the next couple weeks, come talk to me, come find me. Uh, But may you know that God doesn't love you from a distance, that he stepped out, he sent Jesus to touch you, to heal you and to restore you into community. Let's go out if you're singing about that amazing love.